You're listening to The Itch, a podcast exploring all things allergy, asthma, and immunology. I'm your co-host, Courtney, a real-life allergy, asthma, and eczema girl. And I'm your second host, Dr. Payal Gupta, a board-certified allergy, asthma, and immunology doctor. Courtney and I hope to balance each other out so that we get you all the information that you want and need about allergies, asthma, and immunology. Are you ready for our next deep dive? We're launching into atopic eczema, or eczema. Depends on where you come from, I guess. You know, as our deep dive episodes seem to go, there's so much more we want to cover that we end up breaking them into parts because it's really better to get small chunks of information than a whole whack in one go and then you don't remember any of it. So part one, we're covering what is atopic eczema, the main terms you might have heard to use to describe it, the symptoms and the triggers. We'll be covering treatment and maintenance in part two, so stay tuned. Today we are diving into a topic that I can't wait to learn more about. We're exploring eczema or atopic dermatitis. And those are two terms that get interchanged quite often. And I actually think they're the same thing. So why don't we jump in and talk about what they mean? Hi, Courtney. Yeah, so the specific terms atopic dermatitis and eczema are frequently used interchangeably, actually. And when the term eczema is used alone, a lot of people usually use it to mean atopic dermatitis or atopic eczema. And so we've talked about this before, but atopic means allergic. So this is a specific type of skin condition where allergies are playing a role in some way. So we'll talk more about that. But basically, eczema and dermatitis in general refer to itchy, scaly skin that can have crusting or oozing at times. They are general terms, but now eczema, again, for most people and even doctors is commonly used specifically for atopic eczema, which means eczema that has an underlying allergic component. So dermatitis is an even more general term and it can refer to many conditions. And again, atopic dermatitis means that there's an underlying allergic component to the rash. So technically in the medical world, there's a lot of conditions that we can put under that category of eczema or dermatitis that have nothing to do with allergies, but atopic dermatitis or atopic eczema, we say when we're referring to someone with an allergy that's causing their eczema. So today we'll only really be talking about atopic eczema because I saw online that there are a ton of different types of eczema. And what I'm hearing is that atopic eczema is what impacts folks with food allergies, environmental allergies, or asthma. Yes, exactly. So remember that the term atopic means allergic and eczema, this is technically a part of that atopic triad. It's the asthma, eczema, and allergies. Those are the three that are considered those atopic triad. And so that's why they're all linked together. So yes, we're going to focus on specifically atopic eczema, but a lot of this stuff can actually apply to a lot of eczema conditions, but we'll specifically mention when it's related to atopic eczema. But again, a lot of the skincare the medications, the treatment, all of this stuff can also apply to other eczema conditions or other dry skin conditions. 
And as an allergist, are you only dealing with atopic eczema then? So I deal with a lot of skin conditions like urticaria, contact dermatitis, and these can also be allergic, but different types of allergic skin rashes. And so mostly, yes, I'm dealing with atopic eczema, but sometimes people will come in with just a general form of eczema and I'll still help them and treat them because again, a lot of the treatment options and a lot of the ways that we treat it are very similar. And just to clarify, so we're talking atopic eczema, but you mentioned urticaria, which is basically hives, and contact dermatitis. And is contact dermatitis something like a nickel allergy? Yep, exactly. That's what a contact allergy is, is something like a nickel allergy. It's when chemicals or metals cause a rash over time when your skin comes into contact with them. So it's different from atopic eczema because the underlying mechanism is different. It usually takes several days of exposure before you'll get the symptoms of a contact dermatitis, whereas with atopic eczema, you usually get the symptoms more quickly after exposure. One thing that I'd like to mention, though, is that people with atopic eczema are more likely to also suffer from contact dermatitis. So a lot of people with eczema, because they just have dry skin sensitive condition, they will also suffer from other sensitive skin conditions like contact dermatitis. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that sounds kind of like me. (laughs) So I have a question because... We've talked about the different terms for atopic eczema. And in Germany, they also use the term neurodermatitis when referring to my skin. Um, I have atopic eczema, just in case I didn't mention that. So is neurodermatitis also the same thing as atopic eczema? So that's interesting because the true definition of neurodermatitis is really almost a skin picking disorder. So it's more of a psychological disorder. Both atopic eczema and neurodermatitis both start with an itch that lead to that itchy, scaly rash. So I guess the terms might be interchangeable, but for someone with atopy, I would prefer the term atopic dermatitis or atopic eczema to clarify that it's not just a neurological issue where they have a tendency to scratch more, but that there's another trigger that's causing them to scratch, which is causing them to have that rash. But also some people or some doctors feel that people with underlying eczema of any sort or psoriasis can then have neurodermatitis because the itching causes more scratching and that cycle is harder to break for some. So they might have an additional brain or neurological component to their inability to stop scratching. Yeah, that's I just have to like sit there sometimes and breathe and be like, don't scratch, don't scratch, don't scratch, because you just can't help it. And I can see how that makes sense being a a brain component. And honestly, I always found it very confusing because there always seems to be so many terms floating around and I'm never sure which is the right one to use when talking about my skin condition. So for this episode, I think would it be best if we just use the word or the term atopic eczema? So there are a lot of terms out there for the same condition. And sometimes in dermatology, it's confusing for other doctors too. So that's why it's just really important to use more specific terms. And that's why I think atopic eczema is a very specific term. Atopic means you're allergic and eczema means that you have a dry, itchy, scaly skin condition. You and my old neighbor, who was also an allergist, both immediately knew I had atopic eczema when you guys saw me. And I want to know, how was it that you knew that that was atopic eczema when you saw my skin? Yeah. So again, atopic eczema is a rash that causes dry skin 
scaly skin patches. So when I saw your skin, I saw those dry scaly patches. And in people with allergies, this is the way that the skin can react to allergens. So I already knew that you had allergies. And then I saw signs of that eczema. And so I kind of put the two together and said, you most likely have atopic eczema. Okay. It was just, it was funny because I was like, two allergists look at me and they know exactly what's going on. And I always wondered if everyone else in the world knew too. (laughs) But that's good. I mean, you probably see it all the time. So it's very obvious to you. So what is happening in the body for eczema to occur? So there's a lot of factors that have been associated with atopic eczema. And we're going to try to keep it simple. But the most important things, and I think these are important because they'll help us when we're going into the therapy too, are skin barrier abnormalities. So for example, people with atopic eczema have been found to have lower levels of a protein called filigrin. And filigrin is involved in the skin barrier formation. So when filigrin isn't there, then the skin barrier formation doesn't happen the way that it should. And we've talked about the skin barrier and why that's so important. And once that gets compromised, all the problems that it can lead to. Again, there's a lot of skin barrier theories out there as to why eczema occurs, but we're keeping it simple. And people with atopic dermatitis have also been shown to have a defect in the repair process when you have a break in the skin. And that leads to more severe inflammation caused by bacteria that are normally on our skin. So again, another reason that our skin barrier is so important and people with atopic dermatitis, when there is a break in the skin, we don't fix that break as easily as other people. Lastly, something that I want to talk about is that there is a predisposition in people with atopic eczema to have an abnormal response seen with any allergic condition to different stimuli, including food and environmental triggers that results in the release of different mediators that cause the itching that leads to the itch rash cycle. So basically there's a lot of theories out there and I'm sure that has a lot of people like kind of tuning out at this point. So I'm going to stop there, but essentially we have to remember that the skin barrier is super important. So if we don't have everything that we need to keep the skin barrier looking good, then we're going to have issues with the skin. And then secondly, with atopic eczema, there's also something going on with environmental triggers and food triggers that can lead to the skin getting irritated and lead to that itching sensation, which leads to someone scratching, which leads to someone having that itchy, scaly, dry skin condition that's called eczema. So basically we have kind of our skin is supposed to be like this iron wall that allows nothing in and our skin is a little bit weaker. So maybe our protection was not built with stone. It was built with wood. And so things can get in a lot easier. And that's why we have this issue. Yeah, exactly. So the important thing to remember is that it's all about keeping the skin barrier intact. And the way that we do that is by keeping the skin hydrated. So a big part of what we talk about in eczema care is just doing that. But now maybe you can understand why it's so important. If we don't have that intact barrier, then we're susceptible to all that inflammation and potentially even bacterial overgrowth, which can lead to infection. Yeah, I'm feeling like this this metaphor of like a wall makes a lot of sense to me now of like if we continue with this wood idea would you know if we don't keep it well lacquered which would be our cream then it has the potential to allow things in and to change it and to form it and to make it either 
get bigger or get mossy or whatever. So that makes a lot of sense. At this point, I think it would probably be a really good idea to outline what the symptoms look like. So we move away from my image of wood and actually to the skin. Yeah. So both of us know how eczema feels because if you hadn't guessed it, I also have eczema and I've suffered from eczema since I was a little kid. And I think you have too, Courtney. The symptoms of eczema can include the intense itching and we call eczema the itch that rashes because it oftentimes starts really just with an itch that results in someone scratching their skin. And then that compromises the skin barrier. And that leads to redness, inflammation, dryness, scaling, flaky skin. And then sometimes that can lead to cracking and bleeding. And then ultimately you can get an infection if you aren't careful. So there's a lot of symptoms, but most of it is just that itching and that dry, cracked, irritable skin. Atopic eczema can look different in people of different ages too. And we'll talk about that. Yeah, I definitely have had the cracking and the bleeding on my hands. And I know that you have super dry feet because when we first met, you were moisturizing your feet in the middle of the park. And I thought that was too weird and funny. But now that I'm getting better because of you and having a much more regimented skincare regime, I know that it made a lot of sense and it's no longer as hilarious, but more like hashtag reality moisturizing my feet in the middle of a park. You mentioned something about how it can look different in people of different ages. Do certain symptoms only happen for certain age groups? No, not that certain symptoms happen for different age groups. It's more the areas that it can affect. So every age group is going to have that itching and then the symptoms of the dry, scaly, cracked skin. But in babies, it tends to affect the front of their arms and legs and cheeks or scalp area. And what's important to remember for babies is that the diaper area is usually not affected. So when the diaper area is affected, then we really have to think about something else that might be going on. Could it be a fungal infection or what we usually call a diaper rash, which is caused by fungus? Or could it be a contact dermatitis from the diaper? So from the chemicals used in the diaper, sometimes we can see a contact dermatitis. So generally, it's important to remember that eczema does not affect the diaper area. So if it is affecting the diaper area, you want to think about something else. And then in older children and adults, eczema often affects the sides of the neck, the elbow creases, and the backs of the knees, and also the face. In older children and adults, the skin can become thick and dark and even form scars from too much scratching. So that's just over time because we've had more time than babies have to scratch and itch and ruin our skin. We tend to have more of that thickened, hardened skin from all of that scratching and from all of that healing that the skin has tried to do. And then again, adults also tend to get it on their wrists, hands, forearms, and face, but it can really affect any part of the body for anyone. So these are just general areas that they affect. And I know there's a lot of good diagrams and pictures, so we'll probably put those in our blog just so people can visually see where people with eczema tend to get their symptoms. And one One thing that's important to remember is that with eczema, it's usually on the flexural part of the the joints. So where you flex and that the part that comes together, that's usually what's affected. Whereas in psoriasis, it's the elbows. So it's that other side of the joint that's affected. So that's another kind of clue as to it's a dry, itchy, scaly rash 
but is it eczema or is it something else? And then again, with the atopic eczema, is it caused by an environmental trigger or is it caused by a food trigger? So does that make it atopic or is it just not caused by either of those, which means that it's just general eczema? Oh, yeah, that makes sense. I always call those my hot spots, you know, where they flex and that's where I always get it. So I get it on all my joints, like my wrists, my inside my elbows, behind my knees, the top of my feet, by my ankles. Those are where it generally gets itchy and you can feel it coming on. And I definitely know that I have some areas of my skin that look kind of like what I call elephant skin. So they are thicker and kind of wrinklier. So my parents like to always say that I was born with eczema. And is that true? Can babies be born with it? Or is it something that develops later in life? So you're really not necessarily born with it, but with exposure to the outside world, we can start triggering it quickly. So including your first meal. So atopic eczema usually appears before the age of six months and improves before adolescence in 80% of cases. So after the age of seven, close to 80% of children see their eczema, quote unquote, disappear, but it's always kind of there. Your tendency to have that dry, irritable skin will kind of persist throughout your life. What we know is that on occasion, depending on what you're exposed to, or if even if you're having stressful events in your life, the eczema might come back. So we'll talk about that too a little bit more. I honestly can't think of a year of my life where I didn't have at least one eczema flare. And it's really because every single summer I get flares or if I go into a hot climate. Does that have anything to do with eczema? Is heat... Okay, well, that makes sense because heat can definitely cause atopic eczema or any form of eczema to get worse. And for you, I think it could be the combination of heat and also humidity. And for some people, including you, I think environmental triggers like pollen season during those hot months can also cause the eczema to flare. But one thing to note is that in someone with any form of eczema, as I mentioned earlier, that stress and anxiety can make the condition worse. And as we talked about, changes in temperature can make the condition worse. So for you, it might be heat, but for other people, the cold, dry weather can make their eczema worse. So a lot of people during the winter will have their eczema flare because generally speaking, there's less humidity in the air, the skin is already drier. And so because you have a dry skin disorder, it can get worse for some people in the winter time. Can you talk a little bit more about triggers? Because I feel like that's what we've been talking about now is what triggers eczema. Can we go into some more details about those and what they look like? Yeah. So when we're talking about a trigger, we're talking about something that's causing the skin to flare. And you've already mentioned some important ones like heat and stress, but those are general to anyone with any form of dermatitis or eczema. For atopic eczema, the triggers for babies, for example, can be foods and is often the earliest sign of a food allergy. It's not always a food allergy when a baby has eczema or dry skin, but we need to make sure that it's not a food allergy by testing and evaluation. So one thing I'd like to mention is that the testing really is best, especially for babies when it's done with an allergist. We've talked about this before, but essentially when you have atopic eczema, especially your total IgE levels in your blood are higher. And when we check the blood tests, we are asking that computer system to look at that IgE 
that protein in the blood that's a marker for allergies. And we want the computer to tell us what specific proteins that particular IgE is specific for. But when we test the blood for food allergies, the computer can get confused, especially when the IgE levels are super high like they are in atopic eczema. If the computer gets overwhelmed, when you get the printout of the test results, everything is going to look like it might be positive. And that's what we call false positives because they're not actually clinically relevant. It's just that the computer is getting super confused. And so we can't really get into the details of how exactly allergists do this because everyone's got their own kind of nuances to this. But When you go to an inexperienced doctor, a doctor can look at those results and get super confused and think that you're allergic to everything, which a baby normally is not allergic to everything. Things can get complicated. And then we end up having babies avoiding foods that they don't need to, or mothers avoiding foods, I should say, for their breast milk that they don't need to be. And so it's really important to just have that test looked at by someone who knows and looks at that test often so that they can interpret it correctly. Basically what you're saying, just to summarize, because that was a lot of information, is that if a baby has symptoms of atopic eczema, it's best to get them tested for food allergies with an allergist because sometimes those blood tests come back and they show a whole load of food allergies, but that actually may not be the case. They might not be allergic to all of those things. It's simply that the IgE levels, which are what we measure in these tests, are super high and the results get wonky and then people get confused and avoid, avoid, avoid. Perfect. That was a nice, succinct way of saying everything that I just said exactly. So it's really, really important to make sure that whoever is interpreting your tests has a lot of experience with it. That's really the bottom line. And then usually after the baby is older, if you go to an allergist, they'll also confirm that blood test with a skin prick test. And, you know, everyone has their cutoffs, but I usually like to wait until the baby is at least four months before skin testing. And some people wait longer, some people do it earlier. I think it really also depends on the history. Once they start eating solid foods, which is usually around four months, then they might get other symptoms like hives, for example, or vomiting with the foods as opposed to just eczema. So initially, something to remember that we've talked about before, thankfully, The food allergy usually just presents as eczema and then later the symptoms can progress to other things that are more along the lines of anaphylaxis. Got it. Yeah. And we definitely covered that in the past a bit and we can link to those episodes. And so glad that babies don't have anaphylaxis usually as the first sign. That's a really good thing for people to remember. How do you diagnose a baby with eczema? Well, the diagnosis is made by the look of the skin. So they have, again, that classic dry, itchy patches on their skin, and that's eczema. And then we have to figure out if it's atopic eczema by doing the testing. So usually for babies, environmental triggers like pollen don't play a factor until they've had exposure for some people say at least two seasons. But dogs and cats, however, can make a difference for babies and even dust mites because that is a constant exposure. And if they're allergic, they can have symptoms related to eczema from those allergies. But that also takes some time. It usually won't present within the first couple months of life. It'll be 
later, like maybe at six months. And then one other thing to mention is that as you get older, food allergy symptoms won't simply be eczema because the body generally shows multiple signs of food allergy. So again, eczema is usually the first sign in babies, but as we get older, you're going to have other symptoms. So people will come in as older adults with just eczema and they'll want to know if it's food allergies that are causing their eczema. And I have to go through and explain to them that that if they have food allergies, they're going to have other symptoms. They're going to have the hives, the vomiting, the difficulty breathing that's usually accompanied by a true food allergy. Just limited eczema in adults or older kids is very unlikely with food allergies. Just to clarify, an older child or an adult would not likely get eczema flare just from a food allergy because with a food allergy, you would have other symptoms like hives, vomiting, difficulty breathing and wheezing, those things that we associate with the reaction and not just eczema on its own. Exactly. Does eczema show up at any time of your life? Can it just show up as an adult or is it something that would present as a child and then stay with you? Technically, it can. Most people, however, if they ask their parents, they might have had some kind of signs of dry skin as a baby. And maybe you didn't have severe eczema, but probably had signs of eczema throughout their life. But it can get worse in adulthood instead of being worse as a child. So again, it usually presents before the age of five years old, but people can become aware of it at different times in their lives and it can flare more at different times. So if someone gets a new dog, for example, and they're allergic, all of a sudden they can start having flares of their eczema because of their pet allergy. Or if you move to a new country <laughs> like me. Yes, actually the act of moving itself can cause eczema to flare. Touching of all of that stuff that hasn't been moved in years can lead to all of that dust kind of being put out into the air and then unpacking all of it leads to all of that coming back out. And then ultimately the stress of moving is a big factor. And finally, different environmental factors in your new country for sure can lead to that also. Can you go through what environmental factors are triggering? Yes. So we've mentioned several. There's things like pollen, animals, dogs, cats, mice, dust mites, and mold. Those are the general categories of environmental triggers. What I'm hearing is that actually all of the normal triggers for allergies of the nose are also triggers for atopic eczema. Yep, exactly. Allergies can affect any part of the body. And for some people, they are only affecting the nose. Others, they're only affecting the lungs. But for some people, their skin is affected, their nose is affected, and their lungs can be affected. So allergies can affect any part of the body, but when it's the skin that's called atopic eczema. Now, the atopic is really making a lot of sense and why it's important to use that when we talk about this. We're going to end it there because I think you just got a lot of information and it's good to digest. So part two is coming. We're covering treatment and maintenance. And we're also going to be doing an interview with someone who lives with atopic eczema and her tips on living with a chronic skin condition. So two more episodes coming for you all about eczema. Have a wonderful rest of your day and don't forget to hit us up on Instagram if you have questions. Thank you for listening to today's episode. Remember that all information you hear today is for informational purposes only and are not intended to serve as a substitute for the consultation, diagnosis, and or medical treatment of a qualified physician or healthcare provider. And also don't forget to subscribe to our podcast. And if you have a second, 
help spread the word by rating our podcast and sharing with your friends and family who might also be interested in learning more about allergies, asthma, and immunology. You can always stay up to date by checking out our Instagram, The Itch Podcast, where you can leave questions you are itching to know, or check out our website, which is www itchpodcast.com, which contains more information about the subjects we covered in today's episode and every episode. Until next time, have a fabulous week.